Steve, so much. Thank you for that. Turn, if you will, to Ephesians chapter 3. And in just a moment, we're going to read starting with the 14th verse in Ephesians 3. Stand, if you will. You follow in your translation. I'll be reading from the NIV. Ephesians chapter 3. Let's stand as we honor God's word. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp How wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure with the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Would you pray with me? Father, what powerful verses you have for us today and how you desire to instill that great power in us. It's not anything that we can achieve or accomplish on our own. Dear Father, help us rediscover that power today that you would be praised and you would be glorified in our lives. We claim this today in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Thank you and be seated. Those of you that have been around First Baptist for the last few weeks know already that I give you homework every Sunday. Well, so that you won't have to be wondering about it throughout the rest of the sermon, let me go ahead and take care of that. Let's get homework out of the way. Don't look at me that way now. Here is your homework for today. It's going to be the scripture passage that we just read. Ephesians chapter 3, starting with verse 14. Imagine that you are part of a team writing a new, clear, and concise translation of the Bible. You don't have to have theological training. You don't have to know Greek or Hebrew. Your assignment today is Ephesians chapter 3, 14 through 21. Rewrite it in your own words, phrase by phrase, in simple, meaningful, easy to understand language, and then share it with someone else. In fact, I would even suggest before you leave today, you get with someone here at church and you say, okay, we're going to do our homework and then we're going to get together. And you set a day and a time that you're going to get together later in the week and share it with each other. Do that. And I believe God will bless you with it. A man received a call from his wife asking him to stop by the grocery store on his way home from work one day. And don't forget, she said, I need these things in order to finish supper tonight. And she gave him the list, and he promised to remember. He went to the store as planned. He found everything on the list. He was in the checkout line, and he was sandwiched between a number of people in front and behind him when he became dismayed as he discovered he did not have enough cash in his wallet. 
So he was trying to back his way out of the line and he heard a very familiar voice right behind him saying, what's the problem, friend? The man turned around and he recognized a very dear friend. He sheepishly explained his situation and he said, you know, if you could just loan me a couple of dollars, I promise you I will come to your house tomorrow and I will pay you back. The man said, sure, no problem. And he reached into his pocket, he pulled out a money clip, and he said, well, it looks like this is the smallest I have, and he handed the man a $100 bill. And he said, don't even worry about it. Don't, bother, don't go out of your way to come pay me back. Just see me whenever you can. I'm not worried about it. Just I'm glad to help you. Now, that certainly would have been more than that man had asked for or even imagined. But allow me to suggest a different ending to that same story. Imagine, if you will, that the friend behind the one who needed the cash reaches into his pocket. He pulls out that money clip, and it is filled with $100 bills. There's probably a couple thousand dollars into it. And he gives the whole money clip to the person without cash. And he said, you know what? Don't even think about paying me back. You're a good friend. I want to do this for you. Just allow me to do this for you. Now... I know some of you are already thinking, I need to find that person. I need a friend like that. No, <laughs> but you're also thinking that wouldn't happen. That's not realistic. That kind of thing just doesn't happen. That's just the kind of thought that that's just a part of foolish daydreams. Nobody would do that. That's just not real. And you know what? You're right. No one you can think of would do that, but God would. God has the power and the desire to bless your life in ways that cannot even be measured. Isaiah 55, 9 tells us this, As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Many people simply do not avail themselves of God's abundant Resources. Now, let me make one thing very, very clear at the very beginning. This is not a prosperity gospel message. I don't do those. This is not even about material gain. And the reason for that is because that is far too limiting of what God wants to do out of his great love in your life and in mine. It is more than all right to ask for God's blessings. He wants us to turn to him for all things. And the fact is many people simply do not take advantage of God's abundant resources. Only occasionally will I refer to the amplified version or the message translation of the Bible. They're okay. I don't mind them. I just don't use them for study because they're far too wordy and they take many liberties with the gospel. They'll take 30 or 40 words to explain an 8 or 10 word verse. Kind of like a preacher friend I used to know who would talk 30 minutes to a wrong number. <laughs> but every once in a while, I will turn to one of those texts just to help make a point. I want you to hear just the opening phrase, just the first part of Ephesians 3.20 in the Amplified Bible. It says this, God is able to do super abundantly far over and above all that we dare ask or think 
infinitely beyond our highest prayers, desires, thoughts, hopes, and dreams. Now you see what I mean by being excessive, but you also see what the verse means, don't you? All too often, we do not tap into the tremendous resources God has for us through himself. Rather, we find ourselves bound by the law of expectations. The law of expectation says we get what we expect to get out of life. The law of expectation says we're going to see what we expect to see. We're going to feel how we expect to feel. We're going to act the way we're expected to act. Many times we fail to set our hopes and our dreams and our aspirations as high as they can and should be. Mediocrity is the prevailing attitude today. Just do enough to get by. Just get it over with. Just get through it. Even if it means sacrificing some standards. And people of all ages do it. Our expectations are going to influence our happiness, our health, and the quality even of our relationships. And so let's think for this morning. Number one in your outlines. We have two approaches to life. And you know what? We get to choose. There are two approaches. You can choose to either live by faith or to live by fear. Some say you can either be an optimist or a pessimist. And I think it runs much deeper than that. That old patriarch Job certainly had faith, a man to be admired, certainly had redeeming qualities, but he also was given to times of simply being a pessimist. Job 3.25, he said this, everything I fear and dread comes true. There's that law of expectations again. Do you know anybody like that? Their poor outlook determines their outcome. They're more focused on what they do not want rather than what they want. Paul, on the other hand, had every reason to follow that law of expectations. After after all of the challenges, the turmoil, the hardships, the setbacks in his life. But listen to what he said in Philippians 1.20. He said, I live in eager expectation of Christ being exalted while I go through these trials. Paul knew joy even when life was not joyful. And that's more than just being an optimist. It's the kind of joyful and meaningful existence that only comes from a life centered on Jesus Christ. Expecting the best can also increase your ability. Athletes know the importance of that winning attitude. Seeing that basketball drop through touching nothing but net. Seeing that home run going to the upper stands. Making that game-winning reception. Seeing yourself cross that finish line. Seeing it all is vitally important. You remember how Muhammad Ali, the boxer, would come out into those press conferences just before a fight. And he would come out with such bravado and confidence and arrogance. And he would fake punches with his opponents to to catch them off guard. And in no uncertain terms, he would tell them all the things he was going to do to them. Well, in press conferences prior to just two fights, 
He was calm. He was subdued. And he said something like, well, if I lose this fight, it's going to be because, and he gave something that was going on in his life or with his training or something that was going on around him. It was the only time he ever said anything like that, and he lost both of those fights. Now, I'm not a sports analyst by any means, but I will tell you that for whatever reason, he lacked a winning attitude, and it showed, and he lost those two fights. David went out to face Goliath with a slingshot and with a great faith in God, and it showed he had the right attitude. Everybody else was saying, he's so big, we can't kill him. David said, he's so big, I can't miss. <laughs> Let me say it another way. Everybody else was saying, you can't win. David was saying, I can't lose. David's attitude was one of confidence, yes, to be sure, but it was also an attitude of concern for the reputation of God. You see, in ancient times, when a nation was defeated, it was just assumed that their God or gods were not powerful enough to protect them. The victorious nation's God had to have been a stronger God. And so that day on that hillside in Israel, there was more at stake than just a military battle. David's concern was that this man, as large and as imposing as he was, this mere man was defying the armies of the living God. The reputation of the great and mighty and powerful living God that created the universe was at stake. And David said, that is not going to happen on my watch. And so let's think about it today. Number two in your outlines, how to stay optimistic. And you can reword that any way that you want, how to keep that kind of faith, how to have that winning attitude, how to experience God's immeasurable power. The first thing I would suggest to you is this, start your day with faith. Studies have shown that the first 10 minutes of the day can set the tone for how you deal with everything that comes up the rest of the day. I was in a doctor's office just two or three weeks ago, and in the waiting room, there was a monitor that was just looping with uh, health trivia and tips about diet and nutrition and skin care and disease warning signs and all kinds of uh, other concerns. And there was one screen that came up and it caught my eye. And it said this, keep a book of positive thoughts and quotes by your bedside to reflect on first thing in the morning in order to start your day off right. And I read that and I thought, oh, you are so close, but you're not there. Because you see what that monitor really needed to say was keep God's instruction book, his holy word, by your bedside and begin and end each day with it to make things right. I used to, I heard a prayer once that said, Lord, I want to thank you that I have not been angry with anyone. I have not been irritable with anyone. I have not been unkind to anyone today. But Lord, I'm going to get out of bed in a minute, and I'm going to need your help. You know what? Instead 
of praying, Lord, just help me get through another day. What would your life be like if you began each day saying, Dear Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask you to do something that is far above and beyond anything I can even imagine in my life today. Have the attitude of, I can't wait to see what God's going to do today. Years ago, there was a commercial on television about oatmeal. <laughs> a well-known actor talked about how good oatmeal was and how nutritious oatmeal was and how it was the best way to start your day. And at the end of the commercial, the tagline was, it's the right thing to do. Listen to Psalm 5.3. In the morning, O Lord, you hear my voice. Let me ask you this. How often does God hear your voice? In the morning, O Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my request before you and I wait in expectation. That is starting your day off right. Dear brothers and sisters, that is the right thing to do. Start your day in faith. Billy Graham said, heaven is full of answers to prayers we have never prayed. The answers are up there waiting. All we have to do is ask for them. Next, in the outline, look for the good. When Thomas Edison was 67 years old, a fire burned down his laboratories in New Jersey. He lost not only valuable equipment, but he lost the records to most of his life's work. And the next morning, he walked among those charred remains of the building, and he said this, There's a great value in disaster. All our mistakes are burned up. Thank God we can start anew. He turned a major stumbling block into a stepping stone. Look for the good in your situation. Dear brothers and sisters, if you are a believer in Jesus today, the very Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, I know we know that, we hear it, we read it, but do we realize what that means? The very Spirit, the very essence, the power, the very being of God is in you. In our key verse today, verse 20 of Ephesians 3, Paul says that God does those unimaginably great things according to his power that is working in us. It's already there. I'm going to give you an illustration. And it'll sound extreme, even to the point of being humorous. Some of you may chuckle. But even this falls short of describing what God working in us is really like. Can you even imagine installing a Saturn V rocket engine with 8 million pounds of thrust in a Mini Cooper. The power of God that parted the Red Sea is working in your life. The power of God that allowed a shepherd boy to slay a heathen giant is at work in your life. The power of God that fed multiple thousands of people with a little boy's lunch is in your life. And the power of God that raised Jesus from a dark, 
cold, death tomb is at work in your life. And I have to say this as well. The very same power of God is at work in the life of First Baptist Church of Titusville. This moment, right now. God wants to do things in and through us that we cannot possibly do on our own. And when we start doing things that cannot possibly be done under human power, two things are going to happen. When we start doing those kinds of things in our lives and in this church, first of all, people are going to notice and they're going to want to know more, so be prepared to tell them. And the second thing that's going to happen when we allow God to do things in our lives and in this church that cannot possibly be done under human power is that God will get the glory, and that's what it's all about. I've already given it to you a couple of times. Do you remember the definition I've given you for glorifying God? Making God look good. God wants to look good in your life. And he wants to look good through First Baptist Church of Titusville. You see, God wasn't being glorified that day on that hillside in Israel. God was not looking very good the way that Israelite army was cowering in fear before Goliath. And what David wanted was to give God his rightful place of glory. I'm asking you to be bold. God is not being glorified as much as he needs to be in our lives and in many churches today with divisions and strife and senseless arguments over theological opinions and scandals in individual lives and within Christian communities, God is not looking very good in the world and we must do something about it. Next in your outlines, give your problems to God. 1 Samuel 17 has that account of David and Goliath. And in verse 37, David says, The Lord will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Now, how could David say that? Was it because he read a book on the power of answered prayer? Was it because he took a correspondence course on the, uh, the attributes of God? Was it because he heard an old shepherd say, Well, what works for me is... Was it because he listened to King Saul when Saul wanted to put his armor on David? Saying, well, this is what I think you ought to do. David had a personal relationship with God. Which could lead him to say, the Lord is my shepherd. He is my guide. He leads me. He restores me. He guides me. He is my staff and my rod. David could say with confidence, the Lord will deliver me from this Philistine. The Apostle Paul also knew what it was like to have that kind of trust relationship with God. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, starting with verse 8, We were under pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, in our hearts we felt the sentence of death. But this happened, that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God. He has delivered us, and He will deliver us. On Him, we have set our hope that He will continue to deliver us. 
we need to give our problems to God. There's something else that we can do in seeking God's immeasurable blessing. Eliminate negative words. The Bible has a lot to say about this. We're in Ephesians chapter 3 today, the very next chapter, chapter 4, verse 29 says this, Do not let any unwholesome words come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. A key word in that verse is the word only. God is saying to us today, the only words that ought to ever come out of your mouth are helpful words. Words that help other people, that benefit other people, that encourage other people, that lift other people up. James also gives us some instruction on this. You remember James says that the tongue is like the rudder of a ship. It might be very small, but it sets the course for your life. We need to make sure that we're not talking and focusing on the negative, and we need to make sure that we are giving God control of our lips. Next in your outline, associate with positive people. It's important, especially in discouraging and challenging times, to attach yourself to spiritually grounded people. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Bad company corrupts good character. I saw a church sign one time that said, If you want to soar with eagles, don't run with the turkeys. Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Why? Because just in the same way that optimism is contagious, so is pessimism, so is negativity. In 1870, the Methodist churches in the state of Indiana were having their annual conference, and they were meeting on a college campus. And the president of the college was the first one to speak, to welcome everyone there. And as he was giving his address, he was telling them that they were living in a very exciting age. And he said that he even believed that sometime very soon, perhaps even in their lifetimes, we would have the ability to fly. Well, after he was through, then the presiding bishop for the conference got up and he spoke against what the college president had just said. He called it heresy. And he said that flight was reserved for angels and there would be no more such talk in this meeting. And when the bishop got home, he then told his wife and his two sons what the college president had talked about in the meeting. And he talked about how displeased he was and how ridiculous it was. Now, I could be wrong. But I have a feeling that the two young sons of that Methodist bishop just might have had a different perspective than their father. Did I mention that this was Methodist Bishop Wright and his sons were Wilbur and Orville? Associate with positive people. And I have one more today. Remember your future. When you're discouraged, remember your future. The Bible calls it our blessed hope. If you are a believer today and you have placed your faith in Jesus, the final chapter is yet to be written. This life is not the end. 
There's the return of Jesus, and there is heaven. An old missionary couple was returning home to New York City after serving many years in Africa. They had no pension. Their health was failing, and they were discouraged. They were afraid of even what the next few days might bring. As it happened, President Theodore Roosevelt was returning from one of his big game hunting expeditions on this same ship. And the couple witnessed all the fanfare accompanying the president's entourage and how no one really even seemed to notice that they were there. And the missionary said to his wife, something's wrong. We gave our lives in service all these years and nobody cares about us. And this man comes home from a hunting trip in the same place, and everybody makes such a big fuss about it. The ship docked in New York, and there was a band waiting to greet the president. The mayor was there. Speeches were given. And all the while, that missionary couple just slipped quietly off the boat. They found an apartment, and their plan was to go out the next day to see how they could begin making a living just to get by in the city. But that night, the man's spirit broke. It's just not fair, he said. How many of us have ever said that? <laughs> he said, it's just not fair. His wife said, you need to tell the Lord about it. So he went to his room and come out, came out sometime later, and his whole countenance had changed. And his wife asked him what had happened. And he said, I told the Lord how bitter I was that the president received this grand homecoming and no one was even there to welcome us home. And he said, it was as if I heard the Lord saying to me, my son, you're not home yet. You're not home yet. Remember your future. 2 Timothy 2.11 says, here is a trustworthy saying. Today we would say, take it to the bank, buy the t-shirt. Okay? Paul says, here is a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, in the last weeks we've been talking about dying to self. Paul said, if we died with him, we will also live with him. Most of us are familiar with Romans 6.23, the wage of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Do you know what the verse just before that says? Romans 6.22, now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. I close with 2 Timothy 4.8. Now... There is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the only righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but to all who long for his appearance. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these very powerful words from your word. And so, Father, our prayer today is that you would empower us how you long to work in and through our lives in immeasurable ways, even miraculous ways. 
And so, Father, again, we would ask that we would just simply yield ourselves in every way to your will, to your leading. Help us to seek your word. Help us to start each day with faith in you. Help us, Father, to remember always the future that we have through your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. In just a moment, we're going to sing a hymn. And as always, this is our hymn of commitment as we come to the close of this service. And it's your opportunity to respond in any way that God might be speaking to your heart. Maybe there's some things that you need to confess to him. You can do that right where you stand. You might want to come here and kneel at the front and pray. You may want to allow me the privilege of of praying with you in any way that God is touching your heart. Would you respond to him? Stand as we sing together.